morning, all. You okay? Good. Nice to see you all. Uh, and for those of you that haven't met me, as Charlotte said, my name is Nick. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm very excited to be taking on the mantle of Life Coach Larry, who is going to be with us for many months. So you'll see him appear on the screen. There he is. This is Life Coach Larry. Uh, and he's going to be with us for at least the next few months uh, to try and help us think about how do we live life to the full? What can we be putting in our day-to-days to make the absolute most of them? How can we live a life that is fully alive rather than just the treadmill of plodding on day by day. That's what we're going to be looking at. And uh, Chris started us off last week, and he started with the really light-hearted and easy topic of cost. Uh, And if you didn't watch it or listen to it, I would highly recommend that you tune in and do that. It's not comfortable, uh, but it was powerful stuff. Um, And he effectively told us about, you know, God is not our hobby. The Bible invites us to put God first above all things. Uh, And one of the things Chris said, which is relevant to everything in this series, is everything that is worth something costs something. We can want to improve and see things improve across the board in our lives, but if we're not willing to sacrifice and pay the cost for that, we're not going to see things change. And so these are some of the things that we are going to be looking at in the next couple of months. Uh, I'm not going through all of them. You'll see that Chris has done cost. And today I am doing dealing with the past. Um, One of the things that I would say as a disclaimer to all of you is that I am not a therapist, nor am I a psychologist. I am not trained and qualified to be able to go in the depths of your past with you and help you wrestle out those issues. However, there are some really practical and simple things that we can be doing based on what we're told in the Bible and just how we do life with one another that can help us get into some of the issues of our past. And I'm going to be using some stuff from a couple of resources that I'd love to point you to. One is the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book and course and devotional by a guy called Pete Scazzaro. I ran the course here four or five years ago, uh, I read the book and it took me a year to read it. And that's not because I'm a really slow reader. Uh, It is because there was so much in there that I realized I needed to deal with that I took my time. So if you have done that course or read the book, you may hear some familiar stuff. The other resource is Practicing the Way, which is um, a website from John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in America, um, and he has some great resources. So I'm going to dip in and out of some of those. But I will start by saying this, we are today directly shaped by our yesterday. There is no denying that your past has an impact on shaping who you are today and who you are becoming in the future. And if we stick our fingers in our ears and don't deal with it and just ignore our past, we are going to find that past coming and encroaching on our present and our future. And what I would love for you to know and to keep knowing as we go through this talk today is this, which is, although we can't change our past, God can change our future. And I know for some of you, and certainly for me, the idea of really delving into the past takes courage And it's something that for some of us, we think, I don't want to go there. But what we need to keep knowing is 
you can't change the past, but God absolutely can change your future and he is for you. And when you take God into those spaces, that he will be with you in it. Now I'm gonna consider the past in a couple of ways today. One is what I'm calling these earthquake moments. These things that have happened in our past or that have happened to us that have undoubtedly shaped who we are and how we see the world. And then secondly, I'm gonna think about the influence of our families and our upbringing on who we are, which is often a less conscious contributor to who we've become, but a very, very powerful one. Your family of origin has a huge impact on who you are today, whether that's been a great family and a great setting you growing up or one that was really tough. And they're the two things I'm gonna really focus on. Firstly, why deal with the past at all? Like, there's a phrase, the past is best left in the past. I totally disagree. <laughs> I completely disagree. You know, there is an idea of like, surely let's just leave the past in the past. Often that means I don't want to talk about it. If, when someone is saying, let's leave it in the past, often that means it's too painful and I don't want to go there. I want to start by sharing a story with you of something that happened in the Kimmons family a few weeks ago, which God has been using as an illustration as I've been preparing this. Now, if you're a bit squeamish, um, you may just want to brace yourself a little bit, but can I say, no words I can put on this story could ever do justice to the reality of what I'm going to tell you. So if you're squeamish, then you know, just stick your fingers in your ears a little bit. Um, but about three or four weeks ago, uh, our dog Lola started to run around the decking in our garden barking and then going into the corner of our decking and really, really barking. And this was often happening at night time. And we put together the pattern of behavior and we realized we had a rat under our decking. And I already the body language is like, <laughs> so we had a rat under the decking. So we decided, thankfully, because it was under the decking, we were able to drop poison in there without it being out and about where the kids or the dog could be harmed. So Chris did the job of putting the poison down. And for the next few nights, the dog would shoot out in the evening and she would bark and she would run around the decking uh, and then she'd come back in. And then one day she didn't bark. And we were sat out on the decking and she just started to sniff in one place on the decking. No running and barking anymore. She had her nose and you know, her nose was so pressed on the decking. It was wet on the decking where she was like sniff, 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 sniff. And she wouldn't move. So Chris and I were like, well, we wonder if the rat is dead but either it's in shock and it's not moving anywhere or it's dead, like this was the conclusion. So at that point, job done, right? We've killed the rat. Except for any of you that have ever had rats anywhere, you'll know, no, 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 this is not the end of the story. So we spoke to Chris's dad, and he, um, he ended up saying, oh, you know, just leave it, because within a few days, you know, it'll just decompose, be done. So um, this was quite a warm few days, and day one, day two, we sat on the decking, and there's just this slight aroma, shall we say, um, of rotting rat that starts to seep up through the decking. Um, and it was like, it's not that bad. It'll go in a couple of days. We can totally ride this one out until day three. And honestly, I have never smelt anything like it in my life. This was not the case anymore that we could just sit on the decking and smell it. You could smell it from 
anywhere in our garden. And if our door was open, you could smell it from anywhere in our house. Now I know where the phrase, I smell a rat comes from, right? I never knew, like Chris and I had a moment in the kitchen of, that's why they say I smell a rat. So anyway, the smell is so disgusting that we decide we need to deal with it. So I, perhaps in error, say, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind dealing with it. I was like super cocky about it. Like, yeah, it's fine. It's just a rat. I can deal with it. Uh, until I had to get my head down close to the decking to try and get this rat out. Now, basically, I was effectively in a hazmat suit. I had Chris's overalls on. I had gloves. I had wiped toothpaste inside my nostrils, which was burning really badly, but it was still preferable to the smell of the rat. Um, and so then we, Chris pulls the decking up, and then we have the horrible moment of realizing that the shovel technique I had been imagining in my head was not going to work because the shovel was too wide to go in the bit of decking and I was going to have to really get up close and personal with the rat. So anyway, at this point, I get two little trowels and I keep having to say out loud, it's just a rabbit, it's just a rabbit, it's just a rabbit. It was the only way I could get close enough to the rat. I don't know that a dead rabbit is any better than a dead rat. But anyway, it was absolutely disgusting. I pulled it out with the trowels, shoved it in triple bin bags in a bucket, and we got rid of it. And by the next day, the smell had pretty much gone completely. Now, why do I tell you this? You're like, great story, Nick, but how is that relevant? It is relevant because so often in our lives, Something is done, and we just think, it's done. I don't need to go back and deal with that. But if you don't deal with the stuff that has gone on in your past that needs dealing with, it will start to stench. And you know what? It will start to happen where it doesn't just affect you, it affects all the people around you. And people trying to get close to you in relationships will be put off because it's like they can feel these things from your past that are festering. And I honestly believe that God is inviting us into a life where we can get rid of that rot and decay of the stuff of our past that's trying to hold us back, and we can run into a new future. So every time you think about things that might come up for you today and think, no, no, I'm just going to live, it'll be fine, it'll go in two to three days. Imagine me in my overalls with toothpaste up my nose, trying to uh, not vomit while getting a decayed rat out from our decking. Now, one of the best stories for me in the Bible that talks about why we need to deal with our past uh, is Peter. Now, Peter's one of Jesus' followers, and uh, we have this moment in, uh, you can read all about it in the book of Luke, chapter 22, and, and what happens is Jesus is having his last supper with his closest friends and followers and disciples. And he's having the Last Supper, and Simon Peter, Peter sat there, and Peter announces to the group, Jesus, I would die for you. I'd go to prison for you. And it's this really kind of bold, this is how much I love you, this is what I do for you. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now, Peter is pretty put out by this, because he's like, it's not going to happen. And then we jump down 20 verses more and we witness one of the most awkward and painful moments in the Bible. And this is what happens from verse 16. Just as he was speaking, so Peter's gone, Jesus has been taken away. We see that Jesus is overlooking, he's still within sight. And this servant girl comes up to Peter and says, oh, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no, I don't know him. 
And then someone else says, I'm sure I just saw you with Jesus. You're one of his guys, right? And he's like, no, no, I don't know him. And then for the third time, Jesus says he doesn't know Jesus. And this is what it says. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I think that is a massive understatement. I don't know about you, whether you've ever had a moment in your life where you've said, I would never do that. And then you suddenly find yourself doing the exact thing you said you would never do. I certainly have had that, and it is one of the most painful realizations about your own humanity when you say, I'd never do that. And then you walk straight into a moment where you're like, I'm doing that. And this is what happens for Peter. And then we jump forward from one of the most awkward and painful moments into one of the most beautifully redemptive moments we see in the Bible. And we jump, this is told in John 21, Jesus has died, he's come back from the dead, he appears to the disciples and Peter runs, he's in the boat, Jesus does this amazing miracle of provision and provides loads of fish for them and Peter runs towards Jesus and they have breakfast on the beach. Now, I would love to know what that looked like. The last time Peter saw Jesus, he said, I don't know him. And he knows that Jesus knows. And now he sat having breakfast with him. Now, if I were Peter, I would think the past is definitely left better in the past. I would not want to bring that up. I would do my best jazz hands like, so how's coming back from the dead? Like, how's that working out for you? Like I would be doing everything I could to not bring up that moment. But Jesus doesn't let it go. Jesus ends up saying to him, to this broken, guilty, shamed Peter, he says, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I love you. You know I love you. And then Jesus says it again. Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus asks him a third time. And what is fascinating is what we read here. It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But there was a kindness of Jesus in that moment that Jesus knew that once wasn't going to be enough. Twice wasn't going to be enough. Peter disowned Jesus three times. And what Jesus was doing was going back and bringing redemption to each one of those moments of shame and guilt and brokenness. He knew once wasn't enough, twice wasn't enough, three times, it needed to be three times for Peter to fully know, okay, he's saying I'm okay. He's saying this is okay. He's saying he loves me. There is something beautiful about that. And if you've ever had a cut or a wound, you will know that if you want it to heal, you have to clean it out properly. That once that Jesus did, do you love me, was like the top layer. The second time was like the little bits of grit. The third time was that really deep stuff that skin can grow over the top of, but then it gets infected. Jesus modeled what going back to go forward looked like. Because Peter's past, Peter's narrative, like in Peter's head, the things he would have been hearing are, you are unforgivable, you are unlovable, 
you are unusable, you are an embarrassment, you are a traitor. Like these, probably the things said by the others as well, perhaps, but certainly by himself in his own head. And Jesus, in that moment, that beautifully awkward and painful moment, says, you are forgiven, you are loved, I have a plan for you, I am proud of you, you're my friend. The very opposite of all the stuff going around in Peter's head. And what I love the most is if you read that whole passage, he doesn't just say, do you love me, do you love me? He then gives him an instruction, go feed my sheep. And basically what he's saying is, I'm not just bringing healing to you for me and you and our relationship. I now am putting a call on your life that says, now go bring life. The opposite of the thing in Peter's head, which would be, I'm not usable. And C.S. Lewis sums up this idea of going back beautifully. He says this, a sum can be put right, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point, never simply by going on. If you get a sum wrong, you can put it right, but you have to go back through your workings to work out where it went wrong. And then you can start to put it right again. And what that means is we have to be willing to endure the awkwardness, the pain, the shame. We have to be willing to go back to allow Jesus to really bring the healing so that we can move forward. And a quote you would have heard Chris and I quote probably more than a hundred times uh, is the Princess Diaries. We absolutely love it, but never has it been more true than for this, which is, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment there is something more important than fear. You may be really afraid of the idea of going back to some things that have hurt you, back to some things people have done or said about you or that you've done and said. And it takes courage. And courage isn't the absence of fear. It's a judgment. There's something more important than fear. And that is pushing through into a freedom that Jesus has for us. How? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. Inviting him into our lives. Saying that his grace is bigger than anything we could have ever done or said. And that he wants to bring healing to us. So that's the earthquakes, that's the stuff, like the, that earthquake moment for Peter, the stuff that we've done or has been done to us. We need to have the courage to go back. But what about the unconscious stuff that shapes who we are? What about our families? Now, I, I have a big family. Um, we are quite a force. Uh, when we are all together. And uh, I'm one of six girls, I'm the youngest, there's nieces and nephews everywhere. Um, we are a big family. But what you see on the surface of a family is often very different to what happens if you look beneath the surface of a family. And you look at some of the patterns that have gone on in that family's life and existence that shapes and molds who the people become that are part of that family. And they are one of the most influential things that shapes our character and who we are. And the problem is that very few of us have taken the time to reflect on where we've come from and what shaped our character and who we are. And one of the things Pete Scazzaro says in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course is, you can't change what you're not aware of. You might do things all the time and you don't know why you do them, 
But if you don't go back and work out why you do them and where that's come from, you can't change them. How many times have one of you said like, oh my word, I sound just like my mum? You're, oh, I feel like I'm just becoming my dad. And that might be good or bad. Or the opposite, you might end up saying something like, I will never become like my mum. Or I will never become like my dad. And then what you do is you go the opposite way. And rather than being like them, you go the total opposite way, but in doing so, put some other really unhealthy patterns into your family. Because you're so determined not to be that, that you end up being the opposite, and that's not healthy either. Or what about repeating patterns in your family, like divorce, or addiction, or mental health problems? things that just somehow seem to run through your family accidentally. Well, they're not accidental because the family codes we have are so strong that they massively influence who we are and who we are becoming. One of the things Pete Scazzaro says in the book is, I've got Jesus in my heart, but grandpa in my bones. <laughs> and it's true, we can have Jesus here, but running through our bones and DNA is a lot of stuff we've inherited from our families. And very briefly, I just wanna talk about something called narrative scripts or family scripts. And these are the messages that inform our behaviors that have come from our families and the way we've been brought up. And often they go back generations. It's not just in one generation. These are the things often that have been spoken over us, about us or to us that help us make sense of the world. And they're often rooted in how our families have handled things like money, relationships, success, emotions, mental health. And they just come, they seep into our DNA and they come with us. Here's an example of some family scripts. Money is the best source of security. The more money you have, the more important you are. Now, someone may never have said that out loud in your family, but you only need to look at what your family does around jobs and earning money to try and see that that is in place. What about avoid conflicts at all cost? Don't make people angry. Anger is dangerous and bad. If every time a child is angry, they're told to stop, that sends a very clear message that anger is not welcome and it is bad and it is dangerous. Don't trust people, they'll just let you down. I know for me that I've, I carried a family script for a long time. I suffered a lot of um, loss and death in my childhood. A lot of people close to me died prematurely. And unwittingly, I had a script in my life that Bad things happen to good people, and you can't trust anyone to stay. Because my experience was that you don't really give your heart fully because then people die, and then where are you? Don't let anyone hurt you. Or what about this one, a script that says, success is getting married and having children. So depending on how you're doing in your life, how you're measuring up to those scripts, you can end up feeling a whole ton of stuff. I'm invisible, I don't matter, I'm stupid, I'm never gonna come to anything, I need to be perfect, I can't be wrong. Or if you're not children, what is wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. Because the script says that's how it should go. And we need to find a way of working out what these scripts are and then going back and dealing with them. Why? Because 
If we don't deal with them, the stench of those dead rats will seep up and go out into your relationships, into your parenting, into your workplaces, and they'll be very unconscious if you don't go and deal with them. This whole series is based around living life to the full. And we have an invitation to go back and explore some of these things so that we can live a more full and abundant life. So practically, I'm just gonna finish with this. Practically, what does it look like? Hebrews 12, 12 is brilliant. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't let stuff hang on to you, the stuff that hinders you and holds you back as you run. Don't let that hold on to you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Invite God into conversations where you say, what do you want me to deal with? Chris and I had a conversation in the car the other day that was like, surely we can't deal with the whole past. Like, we'd never do anything. If we spent our whole time being like, do you want to deal with this? We'd never do anything. But ask God, what do you want me to deal with? What's the highlights right now? And then just some really practical things. Let me just whip through that one. So slides coming up. Here's some really, really practical things you can do to help deal with some of these issues. Number one is a genogram. Now, I was going to show you a video this morning, and I haven't got time. Um, but I'm going to post the link. I think the online hosts have got the link, so they can put it in the comments. It's a guy telling the story through poetry, performance poetry, of doing his genogram. A genogram is basically like a map where you map out your family history for three or four generations and you work out what the patterns are that are across your family. And then you sit with God in it and you say, wow, there's a lot of relationship breakdown that's gone through here. What do I need to do to stop that from coming into my future? It's a very useful tool and there's a workbook online. We can give you the details for that. Sozo is a way of praying that takes lies and replaces them with truths. It's very powerful, and Ruth, who oversees our Sozo, is very excited to receive all your emails as you request a Sozo with her. I've said, get ready, Ruth, the inbox is gonna go crazy, and she's like, yes! So, a Sozo is a way that you sit, it's a way of praying where it's you and God doing business, someone facilitating, and you invite God to show you some of the lies you've believed about yourself, and then he replaces them with truths. It's very powerful. Get therapy. Go to counselling, get some coaching. Do you know what? I don't know how to say this in a kinder way. If you've got stuff that's dragging you back from your past, please don't be arrogant enough to think you can sort it all out by yourself. I know that sounds hard, but it takes courage. Get someone to sit that knows what they're doing to work this stuff out with you. Don't be left doing it on your own, where you're just in your own head. Be more aware. Make a decision to have self-awareness. When you go at someone or you suddenly find yourself low or crying, say, why am I feeling like that? Where's that come from? We have a book that we read with our kids called Let's Laugh at That. And it's lies that children believe about themselves. And when they say them out loud, you can just laugh at that and say, that's not true. But one of the questions the book says to ask is, who told you that? So when you hear yourself saying, I'm so stupid, Stop and ask, who told me that? Because it certainly wasn't God. It's not what he says about you. Circles, invest groups, friends, make yourself accountable. Get some prayer. And if you don't know what your family scripts are, be brave enough to ask someone that loves you, a friend, a parent, a spouse, a husband, well, anyone, a spouse and a husband, you may hopefully not have more than one, um, 
family scripts, ask someone, what are the things that you keep hearing me say about myself? What are the things you notice about me that I often say about myself? And start from there. Emotionally healthy spirituality, read the book, do the course, do the workbook. Have brave conversations with your loved ones and family members. Journal your times with God where you sit and say, please talk to me about this stuff. And get in the Bible because it will rewrite some of those scripts for you and tell you what God really thinks of you. But whatever you do, do something. Do just one thing. Don't let that rotting, horrible rat start having its way and taking over your relationships and your present. Let's stand and we're going to pray. Father, we invite you right now to just bring to mind something that you want us to go further with on this. Just as we stand or we sit, show us a person or a phrase or a situation that you're inviting us to sit with you in. I thank you that we are safe with you, that you want full, abundant life for us. And I thank you that you are interested in us going back so that we can run forwards. Help us right now to make a decision in our heart to do one thing that helps us shake off the stuff that hinders us, conscious or unconscious. And just as we're praying, if you are, if you are with us and you haven't had a relationship with Jesus before, if you don't know him and you think, Really, if you knew my past, well, I'll give you this challenge. If you knew my past, you wouldn't think I'd be stood here. I'd love to talk to you if you think that's your disqualification. He loves you. He is for you. He wants to know you. And if you want to know him and say yes to him for the first time today, then please go to church online or come and find me or one of the team afterwards if you're in the room. And we would love to pray for you. Father, let us be a community of people who run without the hindrances of the past, who have courage to be willing to look back to go forwards, and who know what it is to live life to the full. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org, or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.